so open up your Bibles to Proverbs. Uh, we're going to do chapter 1. Uh, now listen, the verses are going to be up on the screen, but we don't do that so you don't have to bring your Bibles. We do that in case you forget your Bibles. Uh, so if you don't have a Bible, come see me after service. I'll, I'll give you one. Um, it's not really nice, I'll be honest with you, but if you come back the week after Christmas, you probably go through Lost and Found and get a sweet leather one. Uh, you can just scratch out the name and you can keep that. Uh, <laughs> I've used that before. It's new to some of y'all, but um, that's where we're going to be going today. So let me just kind of start out and, and just out of the gate. Listen, uh, I think everybody um, in here, um, you can all recall a time in your life where you did some really foolish and unwise things, right? Uh, Eden, Aaron, Neville tell us that everybody plays the fool, right? Some of you younger generation are like, who is that? Like, go Google it later. Uh, everybody plays the fool. We've all done these things in our life, these decisions that we look back on and we're like, what was I thinking? Wow, that was so stupid. Uh, one of those moments for me uh, was my first date uh, with my wife, uh, Callie. So uh, we were kind of high school sweethearts and I say kind of because she was uh, still in high school and I was a sophomore in college. Uh, I know cradle robber, I get it, all that stuff. So uh, we, we were dating and then we met each other. Uh, we were working in a department store selling ladies' shoes. All right, so how much more creeped out are you by me right now? Like, I'm just... <laughs> Hey, you want honesty? You came to the right church. Uh, so we're in there, and like we just kind of get this budding relationship with each other, and it's, it's awesome, and we're kind of wooing each other. And uh, I get up the courage to ask her on a date, first date, right? And we go on this first date, and it's going pretty cool. I uh, really like her. And, and we get to the end of the date, and then it comes to that moment, the awkward end of the first date uh, moment. Like, what do I do here? I'm really into her at this moment, and I'm excited, but I'm nervous. So how's this going to go? Do I just kind of say, hey, do you just want to go do another date, like ask her out again? Uh, do I, I come in with this, uh, this side hug? Do I come into the full frontal hug? I don't know if I'm supposed to do that. I don't know what to do. Or do I muster up the courage to go in for the kiss? So here's this big moment. I get out of the car, and we come around there. I'm walking her in. And, like, I get to this moment, and I'm so nervous. And, listen, I froze. I come in, and I give her a handshake. <laughs> like a man's handshake, y'all. Not like this tender two-handed embrace and like this kid. No, no, no. It was a, it was a bro handshake. And I, I probably had sweaty palms, and I know it's just incredibly, incredibly lame. So uh, we leave, and that's just weird. And like we, we go, and so then I start to get in here and play this cool game with her. I'm just going to play it cool. I'm going to sit back. I'm not going to call her. Uh, I'm not going to page her. I'm not going to do any. Listen, yeah, I said page, by the way. Uh, I'm not going to do those things. Let me just sit back and see what happens. Uh, well, she kind of starts thinking, okay, what's going on? He hasn't called me, hasn't uh, rung me up. I don't, he's not asked me out again, so he must not be into me. The whole handshake thing is kind of weird. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, uh, because she was really into me. She goes and makes me uh, jealous. She tries to make me jealous, and she goes to prom with this other guy. She goes to prom with this other guy. This guy had ears so big that Q-tips fled from him. I mean, they're huge. And, and like, this guy is the guy she tries to provoke me to anger. And I get all jealous. And like, it worked. I got all mad. And I'm like, okay, I went back after her. And she dumped the guy. I rescued her. Right? That's what I tell her often. I rescued you. Uh, God is good. But that moment, right? That whole idea 
that moment really uh, could have cost me a lot, a lot of stupid decisions that could have cost me a lot. Well, what we just generally started to do from that moment forward, we, we came together, uh, and then we just started to make foolish, unwise decisions together as a couple. We got pregnant before we got married. After we got married, we went on to buy a house that we could not afford. We bought cars that we could not pay the payments on. We lived above and beyond our means. We lived paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, negotiating with creditors, with uh, utility companies. Please don't cut the water off. Don't cut the power off to my home. We would often frequent check advance stores in an effort to keep our children in name brand clothes and chasing trophies on the weekends. You want some truth? There you go. Our life was a wreck and it was a mess. We were doing things our way, not God's way. And it showed the chaos in our life. Polluted tongues. We drank excessively in front of our children. I could go on and on and on. Listen, on paper, I'm not the guy to be speaking to you today. I shouldn't be up here. We made a mess of it. But by God's grace, through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he has beautifully wrecked our lives He saved us, and there is no crevice or corner that he's not beautifully wrecked in our life and redeemed all of it. He took all of our folly, our foolish ways, and he began to infuse wisdom into our lives. Now, this is the truth of many of our stories. We've all done these things. We've all made stories uh, and, and unwise and foolish decisions in our life that we can look back upon. No one wants to be foolish, right? No one wants to be, hey, I want to be foolish. I want to go down the pathway of pain and sorrow and suffering. We all want to be wise. We want good lives. We want to win at this thing called life. So we all want wisdom. And we say, well, if I would have had wisdom, then maybe I could have avoided some of those situations that I walked through. And that's the truth. So we want wisdom. But what do we do? The problem is, is where we run to to get the wisdom. That's the problem. We turn to things in this world for practical life, wisdom. We run to TV experts. We run to TV talk shows, to magazines, to worldly counselors. We run to Pinterest. We run to billboard signs filled with self-help and self-love. And we run to Dear Abby and Delilah After Dark and Intelligence of Life by John Tesh. I mean, like, if we have to run to John Tesh for intelligence on life, Lord, help us all. We, we run to all of these places, and there's no help there. No lasting, long, longing, sustaining help for our life. And Christians, this is where the sad truth comes in, is Christians play it no different so many times. We often do the same exact things. Or we're Christians that want a Christian perspective on all of those things. And what we often do then is we pick up Christian books and we fail to to pick up the book, right? The one true book. We look for shortcuts. We navigate through devotionals and uh, skimming through the pages of those things, those quick hitters, looking for shortcuts uh, to this life that God promises us. We think that the Bible is authoritative. Yes, it's authoritative and it can speak into my life and it's truth and it's the inerrant word of God and all this stuff. But we just don't think that it really, really applies to the nitty-gritty details of our life. So we skim. We do everything possible in the world to look for wisdom except to pick up the book. 
So that's what we're going to do. We're Christians. We're not like the rest of the world. We're going to dive into the actual book, the book of Proverbs to be specific. So let Solomon teach us where wisdom is found. What is wisdom? How do we get it? And all these things in our life. And we'll learn that outside of wisdom, when we pursue things our way, the hard way, all we're going to find is pain and suffering and worry and anxiety and struggling. But if we do things God's way, he promises a life of joy, of happiness and fulfillment. Not absent of suffering in those things, but purpose, true joy. So we want to do things God's way and not our own way. We're going to do that through the book of Proverbs. I hope you're already there in your, um, in your book. And we're going to encourage you to hear that wisdom is going to be the foundational uh, principle of this entire six-week series that we're getting ready to do called Life Hacks. This whole thing is, is grounded in the premise of wisdom. We're going to teach you, and the Bible's going to teach us, talk about how do we have wisdom in our words, our speech, our work, uh, what we look at, our parenting, families, all these really practical things that we love and we need. But the foundation for all of those things is wisdom, and we must know how to get it. So let's look at Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Paul tells us this clearly. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So for the sake of the next five weeks, let us learn how to be wise, how to walk wise, where wisdom comes from. Um, and today that's what we'll begin to unpack and set the foundation. So let me pray for us and we'll get going. Father, we, we commit to emptying our hands and our minds of the things that we just walk through these doors with, the things that fight to consume our thoughts, our worries and anxieties and stresses about the day tomorrow, about our children, about our parents, about our life, about money and finances and relationships. We commit to laying those things down and emptying ourselves of those thoughts so that you can actually do a work in us. Father, we also empty confidence comfort, um, prosperity even, Father, that, that maybe some things are great in our life right now, but they can be a deterrent and a distraction from hearing you. Father, we want you to change our lives in such a way that we can see it. We know that it can only happen through the teaching of your word, the reading of your word, to help us to be better parents, to be better husbands and wives, and to be better children that honor their mothers and their fathers to be better workers, employees, employers. Father, to help steward money that you've given us. All the things in life that we walk through, we need you. We need your wisdom. So give it to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so since we're digging into the book of Proverbs, okay, that's what we're going to be in six weeks, just to set up some context about the book of Proverbs. It is the uh, part of Scripture, a part of the portion of the Scripture that's called the wisdom literature. Now, this book of Proverbs is mostly written by King Solomon, right? He's son of David. He's the king of Israel during this time. Uh, but the wisdom literature is made of the Ecclesiastes. It's also uh, made up of the book of uh, Song of Solomon. Uh, you have mostly of the book of Proverbs. But this wisdom literature, and it is just full of practical life 
tips on the ground. It's Solomon writing to a son in his youth. Hey, son, this is how to live. This is how to be wise. And it's coming from who? The wisest man that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. So 960 years uh, before Christ came to the earth, God comes to a man named Solomon in a dream. He encounters Solomon. He says, Solomon, if I could grant you one wish in your life, what would it be? Imagine the Lord coming to you in that sense and asking you, what's the one wish? I grant any wish you got. Just one wish, what would you wish for? Hit the lotto, chiseled abs, (laughs) billions of dollars. I want my children to be successful. I want them to be awesome. I want them to be famous. Would you pray and ask God for fame and fortune? Would you pray that or ask God, make UT football again? Good, right? Can you just make them good? Right? Can you get them on a streak or something? What, are they, what would you ask God for in that moment? Well, Solomon responded. He says, give me wisdom. I'm leading millions of your people, God, and they are crazy. <laughs> They're crazy. And I need some wisdom here. Would you give me wisdom? And God says, since you have a God-honoring request and you've not asked for riches and fame and fortune, I'll give it to you. And he gives Solomon this wisdom imparts upon him wisdom. And then we know that Solomon goes on to have this crazy, crazy, incredible resume of life. Uh, Listen to some things that Solomon accomplished in his life. He was a governor, he was a judge, builder, financial genius. He was the Dave Ramsey of his day, military leader, as I said. He was a scientist, he was an author, a writer, And then when he put his pen down, he picked up a harp and plucked out some gold records. He is a man's man. He's also a doctor of love, right? Song of Solomon, love doctor. This is a man's man. This is the original most interesting man in the world. He lived vicariously through himself. If he punched you in the face, you'd have to fight off the urge to thank him. His blood smelled like cologne. Hey, these are jokes, y'all. You can laugh. Please, give me something, <laughs> right? If he had a feminine side, he wouldn't know what to do with it because he's not feminine. If, if, he, if he, his mom, his mom had a tattoo on her arm that said son. I mean, there's all these things. He's a man's man. If he drank beer, he would drink Dos Equis, right? So, okay, okay. All right, you're tracking with me. Let's look at the teachings of Solomon, Proverbs 1, 1 through 6. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness and justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. All right, so in verse 2, Solomon says to know wisdom. To know wisdom. Uh, that's what we need to know. We've got to have this wisdom. Now, the word knowledge and wisdom are sometimes synonymous in the book of Proverbs. And they're, they're often synonymous when we think about these things. But they're often confused as well. We get them confused with each other. What is the difference between knowledge and what is Wisdom, knowledge, is the cognitive understanding of information 
And wisdom is the art of godly living. It's a skill. It's put into practice the knowledge that we've gained. It is also not a, an instantaneous thing. It's not like our salvation. It's not a momentary regeneration. It is a, a process over the period of our life that we gain wisdom and we hone in this process. So there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Now, in this passage, there's five descriptive words that understand or explain what wisdom is. Let's look at these and unpack these things. The first word is instruction. Wisdom is the receiving of and the knowledge of instruction. This word here translated is discipline. It's the idea of being educated through correction. Anybody else as a child ever been educated through correction? I got a lot of education through correction as a young child. And many of our children today don't get that. That's one of the problems with our children today is they don't get educated through correction. They don't have firm hands of discipline, right? And I'm not talking about timeouts. I'm talking about, man, disciplining your children. And I know they're ridiculously cute, But Solomon warns us that when we fail to discipline our children, he calls us foolish in the book of Proverbs over and over and over again. Parents, if you love your children, be the boss of your home. Lead them. Don't say, do you want to go to church today? No, you grab them, you snatch them up and put them in the car. And after you beat them, you get into church, right? (laughs) You're going, right? Lead them if you love them lead them. And that requires discipline. You are not called to be your friend of your child. You're not BFFs. You're the parent. So there is an educational correcting component to being wise. And Psalm says it's wise when you educate or correct even your children. Now let's move into the adulthood piece. This is not just for kids. I know kids, y'all are like, yeah, go after my parents. Yeah, I'm going to. Listen, the, the idea of us as adults receiving correction requires great humility to say that yes you can speak into my life you can correct me you can train me you can educate Solomon says that's wisdom when you invite others into your life to do that he says the fool the know-it-all says no I don't need you to speak into my life you, you stay your distance. Let's just stay cool. You stay there. I, stay you, I don't need anybody to speak into my life. I'm the captain of my ship. I'm the sovereign of my soul. And I don't need any of you speaking into my life. Or maybe you're here at our church and you have community. Meaning like there's some people you love and you know and you kind of get along. But then the minute that they start to speak into your life, you're out. Hey, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Why don't you go mind your business? This is my marriage. You don't talk about my marriage. You got your own issues. Don't talk to me about how I spend my money. Solomon says, you're a fool. You're a fool. Wisdom is found, if we're going to receive this correction and this education through correction, this is where biblical community comes into play. Outside of a biblical community, meaning a local church, You can't find it. This is why God created the local church. So you would have people in your life that could educate you through correction. Starts with a pastor. That's what I do. Like I I do it from the pulpit. I correct through the pulpit. But then also, man, I, I, I speak into people's lives all the time. All the time. 
And if you would even say, Pastor, you can't speak into my life. You have no authority over my life. I cannot be your pastor. You just go to church here, but I'm not your pastor. It's for your good that you get corrected by someone who loves you and cares for your soul, your marriage, and your life. But it doesn't stop at the pastor. Like when you see a friend in danger and they need to be corrected, you don't call the office or text the pastor and say, hey, there's a problem with somebody. No, you go to them as a godly brother or sister in Christ and you gracefully correct them through instruction with the authority of the word behind it. You're a part of a congregation, a local church member. This is why community is so important because if we're wise... We want it. We need it. We recognize that. The fool says, no, thank you. I'll just sit in the seat right here, and then no one will talk to me. No one will know what's going on in my dark, secret life, and I don't want anybody else telling me what to do. Listen, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Be wise. Invite others to do that, and here's how you can do that. Like, if you don't know anyone in this room who can speak into your life. I'm, I'm talking to you for just a minute. If there's no one in your life right now as a godly brother or sister in Christ who can speak into your life, listen, we want to help you. You have to want to. You have to be wise and not foolish and say, I need help. I need help. My marriage is crashing. I don't know what's going on. My kids are off the rail. My parents are nuts. Can, I, can you help me? Listen, that is what wise people say. Foolish people say, it's private. I don't want it to get out. What will people think of me? No, that's the foolish way. Life is found when we get instruction. So if that's you and I hit any of those realms, we want to help you, not condemn you. I want you to get up today after service. Go find somebody. Go find me. I can either plug you into someone or you could just go to the person yourself. I know it's crazy to think that, but you can do that. Find someone else who can speak into your life and give you instruction. And if you are someone who is wiser as a mature believer, who are you instructing? Who are you correcting? Who are you walking in the life of someone in this church to help them avoid some of these pitfalls? All right. Second word we see unpacked here is the word discernment. All right. Now, this discernment idea is the ability to look at two things, good things, bad things, specifically what is good and what is evil, and say, that's not good, this is good. That's evil, this is good. And be able to see as God sees and avoid the evil things and go and run to the good things. Discerning what is right, what is good. And the context to which Solomon's talking to here is the youth of his son, Specifically, young, immature believers, believers in the faith, have the ability, or actually not the ability, they have the propensity to veer off and receive worldly teaching. Uh, they get uh, encaptured up into the other forms of doctrine, bad theology. They're enticed by all of those things, and they get swayed by all forms of false teaching and doctrines. So that's the warning Solomon's saying here. So listen, you have discernment. You can't run around every time you see something cool on Instagram or Pinterest or pick up this book at the bookstore, even the Christian bookstore. It may not be good for you. 
You need discernment. And if you lack that, that even echoes the importance of being in biblical community with other mature believers. The third piece here is the word understanding. And this just word is, is implying that it's not just cognitive understanding, but it's an agreement of why it's not good. Like, I get why God doesn't want me to date this guy. I get why he doesn't want me to listen to these things and watch these things. I'm not just agreeing with it. I understand it. I understand the heart of God behind it. And it is wisdom when you understand the mind of God behind what he's telling you to do as he corrects you through teaching. Fourth thing is called prudence. Prudence, all right? And prudence is this spirit-born cleverness that allows you to look into future things and say, I'm not going down that pathway because all that brings is suffering and pain and heartache. It allows you to do those things. Meaning like, I've gone down that pathway. I mean, I've dated a bunch of guys that look like this and it's always been a train wreck. I've always dated girls that were pretty in my eyes, so I've always done that. It's just been a wreck. I've always spent my money like this, and it's just all it's brought me is heartache and financial stress and all these things. I've parented this way. It just doesn't work, and it's the ability to say, stop. Hey, I'm not going down that pathway again because that is pain and suffering. And the fool, the fool just continues to go and do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And we need prudence. Prudence. The fifth thing here is knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge, but wisdom is, uh, or knowledge is more than just possessing information. So it starts with knowledge. Knowledge is the, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his word the knowledge of his ways. So if we want to be wise people, we have to begin and we have to know God, know his word, and know his ways. If we don't know those things, we cannot be wise. But as I said, it's not just the possessing of information or knowledge. It's what we do with it once we have it. If it just stops at knowledge and it doesn't become practice, we're still fools. It's very foolish to have a lot of knowledge and to, be, uh, and to not to put those things into practice. For example, there are people that love sound teaching, but they're sound asleep. They consume the Word of God. They consume Bible studies. They consume sermons here on Sunday. They consume sermons through the week. They get fat and heavy on the knowledge of God, but they do not put it into practice not pouring out on anyone just for themselves they know the word of god says hey i'm supposed to share the gospel i can unpack all of that i can i can unpack the implications of salvation how they're how people are saved and what you say during the gospel i can do all those things but then they don't tell anybody they know the word of god instructs them to serve this body but they only serve themselves they know the word of god says to uh tithe to give generously but they don't give anything this is knowledge without practice. And Solomon says that's foolish. It must contain practice. Now, now that we have a basic grasp on, on those principles of what wisdom is, uh, or what, what it looks like in our lives, who doesn't want those things, right? I think we all say, yeah, I want them. Where do I sign up? The question we have to answer 
is where it comes from. As I said, we, we, we have the, the, the error of trying to find wisdom in all the wrong places. And here in this text, Solomon answers the question for all of us. Apart from what he's getting ready to tell us, we have no shot at any of those things. We're just, we're foolish, we're unwise, we're going to be uh, walking in our own eyes the whole life. It's danger, destruction, unless we have this wisdom. And here is how to get it. He tells us in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So Solomon just said the origination, the alpha of receiving this wisdom has to go through the front door of a fear for the Lord. In basic terms, if you don't fear the Lord, if you do not fear God, you will never taste the wisdom that he's promising here. You'll never have it. You can't go in the side door. You can't come to God and approach him as this cosmic teddy bear, all cuddly, not to be feared, and hope to get all this wisdom that Solomon is processing. It is a fear of the Lord. Now, to understand what a proper fear of the Lord is, he's not talking about a fear that you run from because you're in danger or you're in harm's way. That's not the, the text that Solomon's talking about. That's not the kind of fear he's talking about. Although, if you are outside of Christ, if you do not surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you should fear God in that way. You should fear a holy God who will execute wrath and judgment upon you. But that's not what Solomon's talking about. He's talking about the fear for the born-again believer, the Christian, the new creation. Our posture, this fear towards God, is not a fear that we run from. It draws us to run to God. It's a holy reverence in awe of how holy he is. As we sing holy, 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 we're saying, God, you're holy. Wow, you're holy. And if I was to be step one foot in front of your sight right now, if not outside of Jesus Christ, you would melt me in your presence. That's the fear of God that Solomon is talking about here. Let's look at a couple of things that come with a healthy fear of God. Proverbs, or I'm sorry, Psalms 25, 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. See, if I properly fear the Lord, I know that I was an enemy of God. And I know that I was an object of his wrath. But now, because of Jesus Christ, I am a friend of God. That is is a holy fear of God in a proper way. And I know that my, by me having a fear of him, it actually grants me friendship with him. If I don't have the fear, I'm not a friend, I'm an enemy of God. The second thing here is in Psalm 103, 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I want God to show compassion to me. Anybody don't want God to show you compassion? 
He just showed you how to get compassion from the almighty creator and maker of the universe. You have to fear him first. You have to fear God. And if you don't fear God, you don't get compassion, you get condemnation. Fearing God grants compassion. Another one he says, Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. So Solomon's saying here that with the proper fear of God, we'll have a confidence in future things. A security that we're not roaming around this world, not knowing what's going on. What will happen? I don't know. He says, if you fear God, if you truly fear God, you'll know that that hand of God that you fear so much is the sovereign God of the world. and He's holding the universe in his hand, and you have security. You have confidence in this world. But this is not all of what it means to fear the Lord. It's not all it means. There's got to be something more to fear of the Lord, lest we approach the throne of God too casually. The fear of God does and can mean, can mean dread and terror. It can mean dread and terror. We tend to minimize that part of God, especially as Christians, because we don't want to think of God that way. Some of you have stories. You're like, I grew up in that church, and all they preached was hellfire and brimstone. I can't wait to get out of that church. I don't want to. Now, listen, that's part of the cross. You leave out that part of the cross, you, ha- you don't have the gospel. If you leave that part out of the gospel, you don't know why you need to be saved. Yes, a holy God is to be dreaded and fear if you are outside of Jesus Christ. We live in this culture that wants to domesticate God. To put him on a leash, as I said, a cosmic teddy bear. We presume upon his grace. We say things like Jesus is our homeboy, BFF, co-pilot. Right? He's a bellhop. And we don't understand and we do not comprehend that if we were standing in the presence of the living God, that the only thing that keeps us from being melted in his sight is Jesus Christ. That's our posture. That is a holy, righteous fear of God. And if we don't have that, we can't have wisdom. We have no shot at wisdom. Listen to what P.J. Byes says about this fear of God. The true fear of God is a childlike fear. Some of the Puritans used to call it a filial fear. It's a combination of holy respect and a glowing love. To fear God is to have a heart that is sensitive to both his godness and his graciousness. It means to experience great awe and a deep joy simultaneously when one begins to understand who God really is and what he has done for us. Therefore, the true fear of God is not a fear that makes a person run away and flee from God. It is a fear that drives him to God. So until you understand your position apart from Christ in this life, you will never experience wisdom. You won't fear the Lord. Apart from Christ, you have no righteousness. Apart from God, you have no relationship with God. Apart from Christ, you're an object of God's wrath, not his love. Apart from Christ, our destiny is damnation, not salvation. 
but the good news of the gospel because he loved so much and he sent his one and only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish. His son became sin who knew no sin to be pierced for our transgressions so we would have life, so we would get wisdom, so that we would get God back, right? God is the gift of salvation. Then and then only do we have any shot at wisdom. So the wise man says, oh yes, I fear God and I have a reason to fear God. You live your life in this holy fear of God. You live your life with a reverence for God, not just in church on Sunday, although that's part of it. Like we should be a people that walk into the gathering with a posture, with a holy fear and reverence before the Almighty. We shouldn't come in here casually approaching God. You come in and this is why you see people that have their heads bowed and their hands raised. They're saying, I'm not worthy. I can't even look upon you. I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't deserve to be in your presence. And you lift up your hand. You're pointing to Christ and say, because of you, I am worthy. And they come in and you see and they have this posture of this holy fear of God. And then you have people that just walk in casually like it's no big deal. Like they're not in the presence of a holy God. Songs of praise and adoration to put us in the ground are often met with these things. Hands doing this. And I'm not insinuating that your posture is necessarily a condition of your heart. But for the love of Christ, if that's all you ever do and you never... Get into the posture that you're in the presence of a holy God and you can't sing the praises of what he's done in your life. You're probably not saved. And I know we battle all the things in the world that want to keep us from doing that, right? That's what the enemy does. Consume them with thoughts and worries and distractions in their earthly lives so they won't come in with this reverence for God. Fight through those things. Fight to get into the position of reverence and awe of who God is, not only in here, but in your life. The fool says, once again, I don't fear God. I am the captain of my ship. I'm the sovereign of my soul. No one tells me what to do. I'll do things my way. The fool will even say, hey, I do some religious things. I come to church. I give some money. I serve. Isn't that enough? I'm a good person. That's what the fool says. Fool says, me and God are cool because of all of those things. And you're heading down a road. You think you're going to this way, but you're not. And what Solomon wants you to see, and what I want you to see, what my heart wants you to see, is to wake up. It's to wake up and cry out to God that he would impart upon you the wisdom The fear of God. If you don't have the fear of God in you today, cry out, God, give me the fear of you. Listen to what James says as he relates to this wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So it's the idea of cry out for it. I want wisdom I want the fear of God in me. I don't have it. So I casually just live this lukewarm life. Cry out, God, give me wisdom. 
And you get wisdom, discernment, prudence. You get instruction. You get all those things. But what you really get is the gift, and the gift is God himself. That's what wise people do. And I pray that you do that today, that you would be a person that if you do not have a fear of God, you do not have wisdom, therefore you don't have God himself and a right relationship through Jesus Christ that you would cry out today. And we give this invitation every week at the end of service. And if you're here, you're like, okay, this is when they do this. And Listen, I want to let you know that people listen. People are responding every week. Last week, we had a young man come back at the end of service, and he, he said, I give up. I, I surrender. I'm tired of running from God. I mean, he gave his life to the Lord. We just baptized him in the first hour right in front of his wife and his three precious children. It happens. It happens. Every week, it happens. And today, it could be you where you're sitting at right now. It could be you that I'm talking to. What's going to keep you from moving? You're going to be foolish and say, I'm not ready to give up my life to him? Or are you going to be wise and be given life, joy, purpose, happiness, Man, that is the invitation that you have today to cry out to God to give you those things, and he will honor it. And if you are someone who is on the other side of the cross and you're on wisdom's journey today, like you don't, you, you, no one's graduated from Wisdom University, right? We don't do that until the day that God glorifies us in heaven and we don't need any more wisdom. But my question is this, who are you imparting wisdom to? Is there anybody in your life that you are imparting the things that God has taught you into other people? Find someone. It wasn't just for you. It wasn't just so you could escape life and avoid the trials and tribulations so you could arrive at heaven safely in order to impress God. No, it's for you to impart upon other people, to take them with you. And then there's some of you, as I said, you are... On the other side of the cross, you love the Lord, but you are not seeking wisdom right now. You're trying to battle and fight on your own. You're trying to run from God in the garden. You are trying to privatize your struggles, and you need to stop being foolish and go get help. You get up today. You come talk to me. I'll go to meet, have coffee, meet with anybody. I'll find somebody to go do that with. All you got to do is do the wise thing and let us help you in this walk. Let me pray for us. Father, we know, Father, that we, there's not anyone in the room that has not done something foolish. Father, in our life, we can so quickly, in this moment, think back to all the mistakes that we've made. We just know, Father, if we would have wisdom in that moment, if we could have just back then, if we would have just known, we could have avoided those things. Father, thank you first for the forgiveness that's found on the cross that wipes our slate clean. But we don't want to continue to walk as fools. We want to walk like the wise, like Solomon. Give us these things, Father. We ask of these things through the word, 
through the wisdom imparted by other men and women in our life, we welcome it. Father, teach us your ways in the book of Proverbs. We love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.